Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would just open our eyes, our hearts to your word. Teach us new things about ourselves. Teach us new things about the Saviour. And we pray that you would make your word live to each one of our hearts tonight. For we ask it in your name. Amen. I think what Malachi is saying, you know, have we sacrificed the whole of our lives on God's altar? Committing to him everything we have and everything we are. Or are we giving him the crumbs, the leftovers, hoping that it pleases him? We were on furlough from Korea and um, we went to the church army mission in St. Helens and I used to play in the brass band. I used to play the big double bass. But that was many years ago. I can't play it now. And my friend was preaching and I, I, I knew the, the folks there at the church and the chap who was reading, I'd known him from a, a young boy. He was very broad Lancastrian. And um, he started by saying this... Um, South Testament reading is from Malachi. And, and then when it came to the New Testament, he said, and they broke gifts, gold, Frankenstein and myrrh. And I thought, well, we're in for a good evening tonight. So let's turn to Malachi, better known as, as Malachi. You see, the Jews used only the best animals for sacrifice. Because second rate animals, second-rate service shows disrespect to God. It was absolutely essential to the Old Testament system of sacrifice that only the very best animals from the flock were killed on the altar. And this was because it was a matter of obedience. God had decreed in Exodus chapter 12 and men ought to obey this. It was a matter of respect. A sinner ought to approach a holy God with great caution. And the animal was a substitute for sinners. Therefore, it ought to be perfect because they knew that nothing faulty could ever enter God's presence. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 9. And all this foreshadowed the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see this again in Hebrews chapter 9. But these people were insulting God. They were, they were complaining. They were bickering. And Malachi reveals a conflict between the complaining voices of God's chosen people on the one side, and the stern warnings from a holy and righteous God on the other. It's amazing when you hear children argue with their parents, and it, happens, it seems to happen that the, the children are always right. Mark Twain said this, I was shocked at how much my father didn't know when I was 16 years old and surprised how much he'd learned by the time I was 21. <laughs> you see, for parents it can be frustrating. But in Malachi we see people arguing with Almighty God. And in verse 6, how have we despised your name? In verse 7, 
How have we polluted you? In verse 13. Oh, what weariness this is. These people had wrong attitudes of who God is and on the purpose of worship. And in in verse 14, we see, I am a great God, says the Lord of hosts. God is a holy and righteous and mighty king whose name is to be feared and respected. The people in their familiarity had lost their focus on on who God is. And sometimes today within our, our fellowships we can become too familiar and lose sight of who God really is. They got caught up with them in themselves and the rituals of worship. And Paul writing to Timothy talks about this form of godliness without any power. Their attitude toward God and toward true worship had strayed far from the word of Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. And they began to argue with God. God had got it wrong. They knew best, just as sometimes our children know best. They refused to listen to God. They refused to believe that they were wrong. They refused to swallow their pride and turn back to God in repentance. You see, a Christian is known by lip and life. Our attitudes will cause others to stumble or draw them closer to God. As Peter, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. But instead, they were arguing with God. But God will be honoured and revered when we proclaim his praises. But if you look at verse 11, a time will come when the, the Gentiles will worship God and praise his great name. Verse 11. Malachi looked ahead to a time when, when the message of salvation will be taken to all nations and beyond that. He saw the establishing of the kingdom on earth when the Gentiles would, would flow into it. God's call to to Abraham involved the Jews becoming a blessing to the whole world. Just as his call to the church involves taking the gospel to all nations. For from the rising of the sun even to the going down my name shall be great among the Gentiles in every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts our purpose is to proclaim God's praises because his name shall be great among the nations but you see their service was a burden You see, the worship of the one true God had become a burden. You also say, oh, what weariness this is. 
And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. The worship had become an empty ritual. It was maintaining tradition rather than pleasing God. It was something to, to be got through rather than out of love for him. The priest's attitude was not one of love and gratitude. It was bad enough that the people had lost their first love and they actually thought their worship was acceptable to God. In, Ephesian, in, in Revelation we read of the Ephesian church. It was, it was strong on teaching, but it had lost its first love. And then we come to the church of Thyatira and they were so full of love, but they'd lost their, their edge. They were compromising. And we need to get the balance of being a church that loves the truth and is a loving, reaching out fellowship. Is worship a real joy or a ritual? Do we find ourselves wanting to do less and less for God? You see, he wants to push us on with joy. As we can see in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, these people were offering God the crumbs, the leftovers. And they expected God to bless them. Prince Charles used to come to, to stay in Borodale as a farm there. And um, he was walking past some houses when one of the groups stopped at one of the houses and she said, and they said, I think the prince would like a, a cup of tea. And the response was, in great Cumbrian fashion, we only have mugs here. And I'm not sure which way he took that. But, but so what, suppose he was his, to have stayed at a B&B at the vicarage, where Gay did some really good B&B. We wouldn't have given him the leftovers. In verse 8 we see, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? He uses this word evil. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show favour, says the Lord of hosts? Of course he won't. And yet these people were expecting to offer these three-legged sheep and blemish, uh, blemished animals, blind to God, and expect for him to bless them. And here he calls it evil. Many today want to be linked with the, with the people of God, but don't take at all seriously the claims of Jesus Christ on us. The only way to show proper respect for God is to respond to his love, to his offer of forgiveness by submitting to Jesus as Lord. And that means 
far more than giving him the leftovers of our life if he's not Lord of all. As Stephen said this morning, he's not Lord at all. Look at verses 13 and 14. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal. The word deceiver means swindler or cheat. This is what God says about these people. They're cheating him. God calls such a person a cheat who can who can give better sacrifices but chooses not to. Instead of honouring God with their best, they kept the best for themselves and gave God the leftovers. You see, the priests too weren't doing their work. Leading the people through, through the word of God. There was no integrity amongst these people. They were more interested in financial return than truth. They themselves were were not living by the word. So why should the people be any different? It was a slap in the face. God's love for us is an extravagant love. The covenant love of God, says Alimatea, is that wonderful love that combines the warmth of God's fellowship with the security of God's faithfulness. God's love for us is so extravagant that he chose to sacrifice the most precious thing he had to redeem us. His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, we've received his grace and mercy. Let's not offer him our second best. Are we giving him our best? And look at verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Just close the doors and shut up shop. It's better no worship at all than empty ritual and offerings that fall well short of our best. And yet so often we we feel it's a responsibility to keep open the doors of some churches where the gospel isn't being preached. And God is here saying, you might as well shut the door. You see, once a church has turned its back on the truth of God's word, and stop relating Bible truths to life, it might as well, says the Lord, close its doors. See, God is looking for men and women of integrity, moral courage, spiritual perception, who will graciously but firmly stand for Bible truth. And we need to do that in our our world today. 
and not care about being popular. In the year of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, Steve Chalk has decided to emulate Martin Luther. But instead of 95 theses that were nailed to the cathedral door, he is posting 95 videos in an attempt to create a new Reformation, bringing the church up to date. What does he mean by that? Because at Keswick, a young woman came for prayer for, for a church, and she said they're using these videos in their teaching. She said that heresy is being preached in our church. I don't know much about Steve Chalk. I know I don't agree with him on his view of the cross. But someone said Steve Chalk is wrong about the church, the Bible, and Jesus. And today we need to have that gift of discernment. As I say, I don't know much about Steve Chalk, but I do know that his view on the cross is very different to mine. You see, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired, it's profitable. But the NEB says this, the New English Bible, scripture inspired by God is profitable. There's a big difference there. So which bits are inspired? You see, many today are picking and choosing bits that they feel are inspired and ignoring the rest. But this teaching is wrong. I picked this up last week at OMF. New members to OMF signed that we believe in the divine inspiration and entire trustworthiness of Bible. It's infallible teaching, supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct, and it's normative value for all peoples at all times and in all cultures. Members of other agencies sign similar statements as in order of matters the Bible should be our final authority regarding mission and church. Those of us who strive to be reflective practitioners of mission must make it our aim to base our thinking and work on God's written word as we present his living word to the world so that all may have an opportunity to experience its blessings. To do this, we must drench ourselves in God's word, saturating our thinking and practice with its message. And as we work with people who need his word, brought to them in the language they understand, we must invest time in reading and studying the Bible in those languages so that our minds are filled with and our lips flow with the words of God that bring light into spiritual darkness and strength to those who are weak. A missionary said not too long ago, the, great, the, the, greatest, um, the greatest problem on the mission field today isn't the hard-heartedness of the heathen, or the poor quality of missionaries, but the complacency and second-rate nature of the church which sent the missionaries out. You see, God wants our very best. And that's what Malachi is bringing to these people. 
Jesus is the spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, you won't accept any sacrifice. It must be the best we have. King David knew about an acceptable sacrifice as we read 2 Samuel chapter 24. No, but I will surely buy it from you for, for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. In the New Testament, a woman poured costly fragrant oil to anoint Jesus' head to express her love, her devotion and worship. The widow came to the temple and gave out of her poverty all that she had as an offering to God to express her love, her devotion and her worship. They understood what sacrifice really meant to a holy and righteous God. They gave of their best because of their love for God. In Luke 7, the woman who brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, she washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. You see, she was willing to sacrifice her dignity and pride. In the room, there were people who were already judging her. You see, God sent Malachi to rouse the people and exhort them to return to the living God. Instead of treating our service to God as a burden, we are to serve him with hearts filled with pleasure. Instead of offering God sacrifices that are blemished, we are to present to him offerings that are pure. But whatever we do or give, it will never be acceptable without love. It's the extravagant love for God that overflows into our praises and compels us to offer our best to him. God is not mocked. He sees our hearts. He sees us for who we really are. God knows the truth of our hearts. And he wants to have hearts full of life, love and purpose. He doesn't want ritual, but heartfelt worship. Are we experiencing joy in devoted service to God? Or are we finding it a bit of a burden? And are we giving God our very best? Amen.